As an entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur, how can you ensure the success of your business and your quality of life? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. This program will help you to identify and make necessary changes in your life and your business. You'll find the challenges that you're facing and solutions in the examples of lifelong business owners who have entrepreneurship in their DNA. You'll also learn from experts who've transformed their mindset and skills to become industry leaders. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. My guest today is Chris Daly. As an expert in website optimization, Chris engages both his knowledge of testing strategies and human behavior to help businesses convert their website traffic into sales. He started his own conversion optimization agency in 2014 and in 2016 merged it with a company called Disruptive Advertising, where he currently serves as the VP of Site Testing and Optimization. Disruptive Advertising provides full-service A-B testing solutions that include strategy, design, development, and analytics. Chris, beyond website optimization, I know you've learned a lot over the years about the skills and habits that contribute to business success. Yeah, so I've had quite the journey over the last 10 or so years. I actually didn't even know what digital marketing was or website optimization or search engine optimization. I didn't know what any of these things were before I kind of landed in a job where I was selling search engine optimization. <laughs> and so it's been it's been a really interesting experience for me. And we were, you know, we were talking before before this about my past in search engine optimization. Search engine optimization for I mean for people who don't know is all about getting ranked on Google. So when somebody goes to Google and searches, uh, you want your website to come up first, right? And there's all kinds of things that influence the Google search results. Businesses spend lots and lots and lots of money working on search engine optimization. Like I said, I spent years and years in this industry, and so uh, I'm familiar with a lot of the strategies people employ. But one really interesting thing that has has come out um, it just in the last few years as as a major a major indicator to Google of whether or not they should show your website is some of the on-site factors. So when somebody comes to your business's website, what they actually do on your site can impact whether or not Google shows you in the search results. And this is has been very fascinating to me, especially because right now I'm focused on helping businesses influence people on their website. But you know things like how long they spend on your website, whether or not they come to your website and then leave and go back to Google to try to find another website. Because you know what Google really cares about is showing the most relevant businesses or the most relevant websites in their search results that will give users what they're looking for. And so if somebody comes to your site and leaves, that's a good indication to Google that they didn't find what they were looking for. And so if you can influence your on-site metrics, uh, not just link building, which is like, you know, a commonly known SEO best practice that you get people to link to you and publish lots of content out there, have really good, unique content. All of those are super important. And how people actually behave on your site is a major, major ranking factor for Google these days as well. So that's something that in terms of businesses and types of things that they should be focused on, uh, that should definitely be on, on businesses' radars as, as something that they're worried about. I really appreciate your sharing that tip. So looking at 
kind of the actions that visitors take on your site, the behaviors that they have. And one that you mentioned is the amount of time that they stay on the site. Is there anything more that you could say in terms of actions and behaviors and how we can influence the amount of time that visitors stay on the site? Yeah. And one thing that I will say is there's not like a good or a bad amount of time to have people spending on your site, right? There's based on your goals. If you have a content website, you want people to consume your content. If you have a sales website where you're selling products, you want them to buy the product. If you have a lead gen site, you want them to fill out the form. And so it's important to figure out what are we trying to get people to do? What do we want people to do when they come here? And then whatever your current success metrics are, however long they're spending on your site now, try to increase it. And so some of the things that will typically increase time on site is the content that they see when they very first get there. Nothing pushes people away from your site faster than the very first thing they see when they get to the site. And so if you've got a ton of content that's on your site when they get there, try reducing that content or try moving it somewhere else on the page and see if showing a little bit less content initially increases people's time on the site or it actually may decrease it. But, you know, going in with like a testing mentality of what I have seems to be working now, let's figure out how we can do it better. Uh, Going in with that kind of a mentality is critical for influencing those on-site metrics. Because, you know, if you don't know why people are staying on your site already, it's super important to figure that out, to run some tests and figure out why is it that people are staying and how can I get them to stay longer. You mentioned changing the amount of content on the site, doing some testing around that and seeing how that influences the visitor behavior. Do you have any tips in terms of the metrics part? Like what kind of metrics people should be looking at? How we should structure the metrics in order for them to be as useful as possible. What metrics we should be putting in place. Yeah, so this is something that's that's important. When you are thinking about tests, like any kind of test that you can run on your site, any kind of changes you want to make, each change that you're going to make is going to affect different metrics, right? So you might move your form higher up on the page, for example, and have that be the first thing that people see. And you want more form fills. Well, if you move that form up on the page and you get more form fills, you might actually decrease your time on site. And that might be a good thing, right? But you want to measure all of these things. So the the top things that I typically will recommend that businesses focus uh, on tracking are your time on site, click-through rates. If you have anything you want people to click through, uh, click on. You want to track your click-through rates. Any kind of conversion rates. So if people bought your product, if people signed up on your form, if people subscribed to your blog, whatever it is, you absolutely want to track your conversion rates. And then you want to track your bounce rates. And bounce rates are just a good indication of whether or not people are finding what they're looking for. So if somebody comes to your site and then they leave, unless you have a content site, if you have a content site, you know, like I work with Social Media Examiner as one of my clients, and they have very, very, very high bounce rates. But that's fine because people are coming, they're reading the article, and then they're leaving, and that's what they're expecting people to do. And so, again, it's, it's important to think about what your goal is and then think about what all of the relevant metrics are that you should track. And so, yeah, the main ones are conversion rate, click-through rate, bounce rate, time on site. That's so helpful. Thank you. And, you know, as you mentioned, content versus sales versus lead generation in terms of what is it that you want to accomplish through your site? What purpose does your site serve? I would love to get your feedback on that. Many people might have sites that integrate content sales and lead generation. 
Do you have any advice about that? Does that become confusing? It can. And that's, you, that's a great question. It can become confusing. And the important thing there is to not try to do all three things at once. <laughs> so, you know, if you have a blog, for example, on your site, and you want to you want to get traffic to your blog, but you also sell products on your site. It's important when someone comes to like your home page, for example. Your home page is kind of the gateway to your site. So a lot of people are going to come to your home page because that's what is going to show up on Google most of the time. And so if somebody comes to your home page, it's important to not inundate them with too much to do. You can give people cognitive overload, which is just, there's so many things going on that it's hard for people to focus. And so what I usually recommend is you want each page to have one single primary goal. And that's the one thing that if you could have them do anything on that page, what's the one thing that you would have them do? So if it's on the blog, if you have someone on the blog, your your main primary goal might be to get them to subscribe. And if that's your primary goal, then that should be super obvious to your users. And when I say super obvious, I mean, if you have a button on the page that's bright red and flashing, it should be subscribed to this blog. It shouldn't be go buy our product. It shouldn't be get a free demo or whatever. You should think about on each page, what's the primary goal. And so the homepage, for example, when your homepage is the gateway to your site, that's how, that's how people are going to make their way through your site. It's very, very important to not have too many call to actions, too many things for people to do. In fact, I ran a test for a client of mine just recently. They sell products on their website and they have hundreds of different products that you can buy. And so on their homepage, again, they they go, okay, the homepage is the gateway. So we want to show as many of our products as possible. So on their homepage, they had 30, maybe 40 different products that they were displaying on there. Well, we ran a test for them and we said, okay, you're displaying a lot of your products and we understand the reason why, because maybe somebody doesn't want the t-shirt you have. Maybe they want the hats instead of maybe they don't want the hats. Maybe they they want the belt buckles. You know, you don't know exactly what they're going to want. So a lot of companies will say, well, we don't know exactly what they want. So we're going to show them everything. And again, this can lead to the cognitive overload. It can lead to too many options. So we ran a test for them. They have, let's just say 30 products on their page. And we created eight different versions of their homepage with different amounts of products on them. So one version had 20 products, one version had 10, one version had five products. You know, we, were, we tested all of these different versions and then we tracked, this is where the metrics are important, we tracked click-through rates. So were people actually clicking through to any of the product pages? And then we tracked revenue. So did people actually purchase? And the interesting thing was the less products we showed, the more revenue they made. And this is totally counterintuitive to what most businesses would think. They, most businesses think, well, the more stuff we show, the more likely it is they're going to find something they want. But that wasn't the case here. The fewer options we showed, the more revenue they made. And that was very largely due to the fact that when you show less products, it's less likely someone's going to get distracted by some other product. It's more likely they're going to be able to find the one product that they're looking to buy and click through and end up buying it. And did you wind up choosing which products to show based on their popularity? Yeah, so that was the next test we ran. So step one is how many products should we show on the page? And so if it's five products, 
Then the next test you run is, okay, we're going to show five products. Which five products should we show? And that's always a really fun test to run is, okay, let's show the five most popular products. Let's show the five highest priced products. Let's show the five lowest priced products. Because there's all kinds of rationales to why these different products will perform best. You would think that showing your most popular products will be the best. And sometimes that is the best thing to show. But sometimes showing the lowest priced products can be good because it gives people a very low barrier to entry. And sometimes showing them the highest priced products can be good because then you end up making more money because they're more likely to actually click on one of those higher priced products and buy it. There's all kinds of different ways that you can test displaying products on a site or displaying content on a site. If you're a blog, you may want to show your five most recent blog posts. You may want to show your five most popular blog posts. You might want to show the five blog posts that are in the most relevant industry to the majority of your users. So those are things that are really important to think through and to, and to try out, to try these different approaches and see what your audience responds to. I would think that relative to the number of sites that are out there in the world, that the, this testing process that you describe is very unique that not so many people do this in the scheme of things. They don't. And that's actually the the sad thing. But it's also a major opportunity to most businesses. Most companies out there, I think out of the Fortune 500 companies, I think only about 10 to 20% of them are doing A-B testing on their site. So you could look at, look at that and go, oh, well, that must mean that A-B testing doesn't work. Or it could you could look at it and go, oh, well, if I'm a Fortune 500 company and only 10 to 20% of my competitors are doing this, this is a huge competitive advantage. Most companies don't do it because they're afraid of it or they don't know what it is. And so that can be just a major, major leg up because most businesses, what they will do when they're creating a website or when they have a website already and they're redesigning it, for example, what they'll do is they will hire a creative agency to make, make this new design. And then they'll have some kind of idea of what the site should be. So we should make it look like our competitor site, or we should make it look like Apple's website, or we should make it look like Amazon or whatever our customer's favorite website is out there. There's lots of different thought processes that businesses will go through to create these site designs. But very rarely do companies go, instead of copying our competitor, let's try out some different approaches and let's let our customers decide what the design is going to be. And so that's what A-B testing is, is it's letting your audience show you through the data what they're going to respond best to. And so, like I said, this can be a huge leg up on your competitors if they're not doing it. And if they are doing it, then you're falling behind if you're not doing it. (laughs) I would guess that it's a huge time savings and cost savings and cost generation opportunity to do this type of testing. Tremendously cost-saving because companies would say, well, why would it be cost-saving? I'm not doing this now I'm, and I'm adding this. So wouldn't this be an additional cost? And the truth is a lot of businesses spend tremendous amounts of money on features on their site that don't work. <laughs> and they either don't have the data to know that it's not working or they have the data. We, we've had clients that come to us all the time and will say, hey, we just launched this new website redesign and it's actually working worse. Help us figure out how to make it work. And so if you can start with a testing mentality and say, well, instead of just creating a site design that might not work, why don't we just start testing now? Let's figure out what kinds of things will work. And then we can do a website redesign that's based on 
the customer data that we have. And that saves a ton of money in the long run. I'm sure there are a lot of people who are listening thinking that they spent a lot of money on their site and they didn't really get the full package. (laughs) This is right. You have lots of people who may do design and development, but they're not really familiar with the intricacies of SEO and you need to hire a separate SEO person. And still a lot of organizations, small businesses, large businesses aren't really capturing those metrics that you talked about as effectively as they need to, let alone going through this in-depth testing process that you've described. Yeah, and that's not necessarily a bad thing to recognize, hey, we might not have done this correctly. The thing that I think is so important for every business to start adopting, and whatever phase of this continuum you're on now, to just start. But it's important for businesses to think about their site as a living, breathing organism that is constantly changing. It's really easy for for companies to treat a website like buying a house. And it's just like, okay, well, we've got the house. I don't need to worry about the house anymore. (laughs) But the website is something that there's never a point where you've got like the perfect website. Even if you have a site that's converting well, the internet is the most rapidly changing marketplace in the world. And people's behavior online is changing constantly. And so if you're not testing, you need to start testing because your, your consumer behavior is going to change at some point. And if you're, not, if you're not testing different experiences to figure out how your audience is changing, then you're going to fall behind. Even if you have tested, like I mentioned, consumer behavior is changing very quickly online. And so it's important to test to stay on top of things. And so even if you haven't tested in the past, It's important to start wherever you're at and say, okay, we're going to start with this whole testing thing now. We're going to start approaching our website as a living, breathing organism that is constantly going to need to be adapting to to kind of online behavior so that we don't start falling behind. And Chris, just thinking about where folks can start in light of the fact that they're in different stages of development around their business and also though... They're in different places in terms of budget. It would be helpful if if you could share one or two client stories so that we can have a little bit of a sense of how this might work over a continuum. Where do you start with the client and how long you work with them typically and some of the outcomes maybe that a couple of your clients have achieved? Yeah, you bet. So there's two tests that we'll typically run when we first start working with clients. And, And these are tests that I recommend almost across the board. And there are two different kinds of tests. So the first one is called an existence test. And an existence test is simply a test where you are challenging the existence of everything on your site. So I mentioned the e-commerce client where they had all these products on their page. So that was an existence test. We tested removing stuff from the site to see if it should be there. Another example that I will give along those lines, we had another client that came to us also in the, in the e-commerce space. So they were selling jewelry on their website and they had just created a new website design as well. And so for the existence test, what we did is we, like on their homepage, on their category pages, they were displaying all kinds of information about their products. So they had a picture of the product, they had the product name, they had the price of the product, they had the measurements of the product, and then they had like a button that says, click here to view the product or whatever. So for an existence test, what we did is we created different versions where we removed 
different information from like their category page, for example. So we had one version that removed the name of the product, one version that removed the price of the product, one version where we removed the button. So we just challenged, okay, does all of this stuff need to be there? Right? Because when you have never done testing before, you, you don't really know what is actually working on your site. You might know that the site as a whole is working, but you don't know if that's because you have this button or if that's because you're showing the price or whatever. So we ran this test right, where we're removing these things to see whether or not it's helpful to have them. And something really fascinating happened. So on their category pages, and a category page, as I'm sure everyone's aware is where you've got all kinds of different products. It's like, okay, you want rings. Here's all of the men's rings. And you can go through and find one that you like and click through and then get all the product details. But so the category page, the the goal is to help them find a product that they like so that they can click through and then get more information about it. So one really interesting thing that came out of our first existence test, if we removed the price on the category pages, they sold way more product. And that was really fascinating because you would think, well, they need to know the price. And on a category page, they're probably comparing the price. But the interesting thing here was by removing it, what we did is instead of having them focus on the price, we were having them focus on the product, on the actual product and finding a product that they like. And then they would click through to the product page and they could get the price at that point. But Again, like this is a very, very simple test that any business can, can run, this existence test, where you basically take a page, you, you want to use a testing tool. So, you know, I, I usually recommend VWO, Visual Website Optimizer, is a good starting point, or Optimizely. Those are both really good testing tools that people can get started with. So it's important to use one of these tools. And then it, it's, it's super simple to create a test like this inside of one of these tools. You literally just give it the page you want to test. It will pull it in. And then you just click a button that says, create a new version, create a new version. You can create as many versions as you want. And it will pull up your site. You can click on an element on your site and say, remove. And then you've got a version of your homepage that has removed that. And so these existence tests are very, very critical for businesses to run to figure out what is the stuff on my site that's working? And is there anything that is actually detracting people from, from buying? So that's one of the tests that we run with every single client. We want to figure out before we start messing with all the stuff that's on your site, first, we want to figure out if everything that's there should even be there. Chris, how much time do you give for the testing of each of the different options? One option where you're removing price, one option where you're removing name or other features. Yeah, that's a good question. And, and the amount of time that you run those tests for just depends on how many visitors you're getting into this test. For some of our, our clients that get hundreds of thousands of visitors to their site every month, we can run a whole test in, in a week. We can have data back. So, you know, we'll be running their current site against the version without price for a week and we'll have data back. Some of our clients get a lot less traffic than that. And so when you get less traffic through your test, you're going to get less success metrics, success events happening. So you'll get less people clicking, you'll get less people buying. Uh, and so we, we use a statistical significance calculator, as well as like a sample size calculator to understand, okay, how many conversions do we need to determine that, you know, we've got a, a statistically significant result? 
And there's all kinds of free tools online that you can use to calculate this kind of stuff. But yeah, so I mean, some of the tests will run for a week. Sometimes the test will run for a month in order for us to get enough data back. But we, we let the tests run until we can confidently say, we know that this one for sure performs better than this other one. And how do you know that it's not just relative to a particular season? How do you know that you're capturing data that is really significant for decision-making purposes? Maybe at this time next year, if you tested the same options, the results will be different. Yes. And that, that is why it's very important to be continually testing. It's not just a one-time thing, right? Because you're right. User behavior is going to change over time. And there are all kinds of factors that are going to affect your conversion rates. And so that's part of the reason why doing an A-B test is so important. A lot of businesses will say, okay, well, we'll just launch this change and we'll compare our conversion rates this week to where they were last week. And that way we can determine whether or not this, this change is working better. But the problem is there might be uh, you know, a hurricane in Florida this week. And so all of your Florida customers just fell off the map and Florida customers are, you know, are your main demographic. And so that could really influence your conversion rates on your site. Um, and you might think, oh, hey, my, this, this change is performing way better. But it's not that it's performing better. You're just getting different people to your site this week. So that's why doing an A-B test is so important because you're splitting traffic. You're, having, you're saying one person's going to go to this version, one person's going to go to this version. So you get to compare your data over the same period of time. But you, you brought up another good point of like seasonality. You're right. Seasonality, especially if you're like in the the retail space, seasonality is a big, big deal. And so it's important to go back and revisit tests. You know, I I usually say once per year, at least. And you, you may not go back and run the exact same test, but it's important to go back and say, okay, hey, we tested this concept a year ago. Let's go back and challenge this again. Let's see if anything's changed about our users. And that way you can kind of stay on top of user behavior changes. How does that play out, Chris, in terms of how you work with your clients over time? Yeah, so typically what we do is we'll, we'll create a three-month strategy at a time. So we'll, we'll have a strategy so that we can constantly be testing and constantly have tests that we're in the building phase. And then every three months, we'll kind of do a, a recap. We'll look at the last quarter's worth of results. We'll say, okay, where were the major wins? What were the things that didn't really matter? Okay, and then we'll put that into the roadmap for let's revisit this in six to nine months. So we'll, we'll put that inside of the roadmap so that we make sure to revisit some of those tests, you know, after a certain period of time. So uh, that's kind of what we try to do. And we, we have very fluid testing strategies, meaning you don't always know what is going to work best with your audience. And so sometimes it can be hard to plan ahead for like, what are we going to do next month? Um, because you might run a test this month that has a tremendously huge impact you know, like, let's say, well, we ran a test for another one of our clients in the retail space where we tested how we display the prices. So they had discounts on their website and we wanted to know, okay, is it better to show the percent off discount or is it better to show the dollar amount discount? Does that make an impact? We found out that it had a huge impact. It affected conversion rates by almost 20%. So a 20% increase by showing the dollar amount instead of the percent off. That was a huge finding. And so as soon as you find something like that, that really impacts conversion rates, you want to run another test to follow up. And you say, okay, we know that displaying this dollar amount impacts conversion rates. Well, where should we show that dollar amount? 
And should we have a little badge that shows the dollar amount off? Or should we just show it as a number? Should we cross out the previous price? Should we, you know, like there's all these, there's all these things that you want to dig in. Once you find something that really impacts your audience, you want to really spend time focusing on that. So that's why it's, it's important to make sure that you're thinking through this strategically and not just what a lot of businesses will do if they start A-B testing is they'll just say, what are some good ideas? Let's try a couple things. And if they don't work, then we'll, uh, we'll just stop doing this. <laughs> and do you find, Chris, something like showing the dollar amount for the discount as opposed to the percentage is consistent across different companies, different sizes, different industries? Or is it something that's very individual to the company? Oh, every, every test is individual to the company. I mean, I have, you know, over the course of my career, I have run thousands of tests for hundreds of companies. And um, I am surprised every single day by tests that have worked for other industries and didn't work for this industry or have worked for competitors, but didn't work for this competitor. It is absolutely unique to the individual audience. So that's another reason why you can't just go based on what your competitor is doing, because first of all, you don't know if they're testing. Chances are they probably didn't even test their changes. And even if they did test their changes, they have a different audience than you did. And you might say, no, but we have the same customers. We have the same demographic. And that's fine. You do. You, you may have the same person coming to your site, but when they come to your site, they are on your website. <laughs> they are interacting with your brand. And the way that they engage with your brand is different than how they engage with your competitor's brand. And so it's very important to test um, you know, even if you want to try something that, that your competitor is doing, it's important to test it because it might not work for you. It makes sense that essentially you're letting the customer really guide your decisions about what it is that you're offering to them and how, they're, how you're offering it to meet their preferences. Exactly. And I would guess then understanding why, in some cases, you can explain certain customer behaviors. Why are people responding this way at this time? Maybe there's a world event that occurred. Maybe weather conditions have an impact. And sometimes I guess there are factors that can impact buying decisions and you're not going to be able to identify all of them. But if you're doing testing regularly, at least you'll be able to be informed about what direction to take. Exactly. And the great thing about testing is that you can usually cancel out all of the noise. And when I say the noise, that's where I'm talking about like, world events or, um, you know, major shifts in seasonality, that kind of stuff, because you're running all of them simultaneously. So all of your test, all of your test versions and your existing site are all going to be impacted simultaneously. And so if your existing site was going to drop in conversion rates, then so is your, uh, so is your test version because they're all running during the same time frame. And so you can usually cancel out a lot of that noise if you are doing good A-B testing. Essentially, then it's a continuous process. And I would think, though, that once you have that three-month initial period where you're putting something in place, then there are some consistent tests that are running over time. So in a sense, it's less labor-intensive, and you still have maintain your interaction with clients but you have something that's kind of up and running and makes it easier over time. Yeah, Yes, it gets easier over time and the results get better over time. And the reason that the results get better over time is because you start learning what the audience really cares about. You know, so I mentioned testing price 
you might learn that price is a major, major big deal to your audience. Or we've run tests for some for some um, of our clients where they don't really care how you display the price. <laughs> or they don't really care how big the picture is. Or they don't really care what the call to action is or how much content you put on there. And so as you start to learn those things, you go, okay, the audience doesn't care about content. Let's not spend any more time focusing on content. Let's focus on the next area. And so you get a lot of efficiencies over time because you start learning what your audience is going to respond to. So you can actually maybe get to the work-life balance piece if you're an entrepreneur and you adopt the strategy, right? You, you wind up determining where are the places where you need to focus your attention, where are the places that aren't as important from a sales point exactly. of view. Exactly, yes. You mentioned, Chris, two types of tests that you recommend. So the first you talked about was the existence testing where you're looking at challenging the data that's on your site, whether or not certain bits of data are really important. What is the second type of testing? Yeah, so the second type of test that we w- that we will run, once you know what should be on your site, then you want to exploit that. So we run exploit or exploitation kind of tests. And what that means is the stuff that is working well, you want to optimize the crap out of it. <laughs> so for example, let's say that you have some content on a page. And when you removed that content, conversion rates went down. Okay, so you don't want conversion rates to go down. So you go, okay, that content's important. They want that content there. Now the next step, let's exploit that content. Let's figure out what is it about that content that they really want. And let's draw as much attention there as possible. So maybe it's the fact that you are talking about value points to them value propositions. So let's figure out what value propositions should we mention in that content? How many value propositions should we mention in that content? So, you know, we'll run tests with customers or with our clients where we'll say, okay, let's test three value propositions there. Let's test five value propositions there. Let's test one value proposition there. And let's figure out what the ideal number is there. And then once we figured out the ideal number, you know, kind of like we were talking about with the products, Now let's figure out what value proposition should it be and how should it be worded. I actually ran a test with, I I think I mentioned Social Media Examiner. We were running a test on their blog to get subscribers. And one of the ways that he gets subscribers is he offers a free download, you know, a free industry report. And so his button, the call to action button to download this report said something like download now. So we tested, and this is, an, this is an exploit kind of test. We said, okay, this is working. You're getting a lot of conversions from this. We want it to say something like this. Let's just test the verbiage. So we tested instead of download now, we said instant download. And then download instantly or download immediately. You know, we tested just different verbiage in there. And so you're basically saying the same thing. <laughs> you're just saying it in different ways to see if, Okay, if we continue to make little tweaks, if we continue to refine, will that influence conversion rates? And it turned out that it did. You know, saying instant download instead of download now increased conversion rates by like 8%. And, you know, that you might be like, oh, 8%, that doesn't really sound like a big deal, but he's getting thousands of downloads per month. And so an 8% increase means hundreds of additional downloads for him every month. That's hundreds of additional email addresses that he can now remarket to. So that's that's a really big deal. So that's what these exploit type of tests are 
okay, we know what is working. Now let's just refine it. Let's refine it and let's, let's tweak it and let's hone in on exactly what the audience wants to see from this. And they're very, very fun tests to run. I love that example. It really hits home looking at the choice of words because we're all working so hard and investing a lot time-wise and financially in making decisions about choices of words. This absolutely helps you to get to the target more quickly and more accurately. And it helps you to not have to guess next time you go to do something like this, right? Because you can go, hey, we've already got some data around this. We know what works with our audience. So it's not just my opinion. It's not just whoever can speak the loudest in the room, which is usually me. Um, (laughs) It's the data. It's what the customers have told us they want. And so there's no room for opinions at that point. It is the fact of what your audience has shown you. Chris, I know that you made this transition yourself from a career point of view from doing SEO sales to getting into testing website optimization. I would love for you to talk a little bit about that because this is part of the continuum also getting the traffic to your site. Since you mentioned on sites where there may be hundreds of thousands of visitors the testing has different implications than if you have much fewer visitors to your site. So can you talk a little bit about that part of the continuum? You have the SEO optimization part, and how does that connect with website optimization? Yeah, in fact, I'll actually share why I, how I ended up getting into doing site optimization like I am now. So I was working in-house for a company, and I was doing the search engine optimization. So again, my primary goal, my primary success metric is how much organic traffic did I send to the site this month? So over the course of like six to nine months, we tripled our organic traffic, which is huge. I mean, any company that can triple their traffic in the space of a year is typically really excited about that. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we spent all this time figuring out, well, what kind of keywords should we be optimizing for? Let's make sure that we're getting the right people to the site. So we got all of these people to the site. We, we believed that they were the right people, but we did not triple our conversions. So you would think that if you triple your traffic, that you would also get triple the number of conversions. And that did not happen. In fact, we hardly had any increase in conversions at all. So what was happening was, again, we, we perceived, we believed that we were getting the right people to the site. But they weren't converting for some reason, for whatever reason it was. And so this is where I, of course, got really concerned and frustrated. And so that's that's where I started kind of digging around. I I was asking different people, like, why do you think this is happening? I asked our designers, why do you think this is happening? Do you think our our design isn't engaging enough? And of course the designers say, Oh no, 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 it's you know the very best design. And the developers will of course say, Oh no, no, there's nothing wrong with our website, you know, it loads quick and whatever, yada yada. Um, so no one could really help me understand, well, why are these people not converting as well as I, as I would expect? And so that's how I got into uh, the website optimization space was I did some research on Google. I discovered uh, the fact that you can run these tests. And, you know, and so over, over time, as I started getting involved in website testing, there's all kinds of new questions and new challenges that I faced. Another company that I was at where we we were getting millions of visitors every month. As we started looking at it, you're going to be getting traffic from all kinds of different places. You're going to get it from the Google search results. You're going to get it from your PPC ads. You might have affiliate ads out there that are sending traffic. You might be sending email traffic to your site. You're going to get some people that are just coming, like return visitors to your site. 
And so one of the interesting things that like you mentioned some of the implications, well, one of the implications is not all traffic is created equal. (laughs) So not all traffic is going to be equally primed and set to convert. So you're going to have different conversion rates. We have a client that, you know, that gets lots and lots of traffic to their site and he saw his overall conversion rate for his site drop one month. And he goes, what the heck is happening? My, my overall site conversion rate dropped. There must be something wrong with the site. So we started going into the analytics to figure out what happened. What was it? Was there, was there a day where we didn't get any conversions? Like, was the site broken? Did traffic change dramatically overnight? And it turned out that it did. So he was looking at month over month conversion rates. And his conversion rates this month were much, much lower than last month's conversion rates. So he was assuming that meant something was wrong. But what had actually happened is last month, he had gotten a lot of desktop traffic to his site. So he was getting a lot of traffic through PPC ads on Google. And a lot of those people were on desktop devices. This month, he started running a bunch of Facebook ads. And Facebook ads can be great, but a lot of people that are on Facebook are doing that on their mobile device. So he got a ton of mobile traffic this month and his mobile traffic just did not convert as well as his desktop traffic did. And so what he thought was happening was he thought that his site was converting worse. What was actually happening was he was just getting a lot of different traffic to a site that didn't convert as well. And so that's kind of one of the implications of testing is testing can give you a lot of really good insights into your data to say, what is really happening here? What is really happening with my website? And how is this different traffic performing? And then, of course, when he sees that his mobile traffic converts worse, then he goes, guys, let's test the mobile site. <laughs> let's run some tests on the mobile site to increase our mobile conversion rates. And so it's, it's a constant learning process of figuring out where should we be focusing attention? Where can we impact the audience the most? And what, it, what is really happening when we're making money on our website? Why is it that we're making money? Is it because our site's awesome? Is it because we're getting awesome traffic? Is it some kind of combination of the two? There's lots of really interesting questions. And then you identified that one of those questions has to do with understanding where the traffic is coming from, what the source of the traffic yes, is. Yes, absolutely. I'm sold, Chris. <laughs> Such valuable information, such wonderful insights that can help so many individuals, whether you're an entrepreneur and you have a small business or a large business, these are all such important areas of focus. And I really appreciate the substance that you offer today. You bet. It was my pleasure. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on your show. Just a quick soundbite from you since I started off the show mentioning that you've had some really great experience around learning about the skills and habits that contribute to business success. Is there one tip that you can share just from an entrepreneurial point of view based on your experience? There, there's, there's lots of things that I have struggled with over my journey as an entrepreneur. One of them, just in terms of like, if there was one tip that I could give to either entrepreneurs or even people that are employed, my, one of my greatest enemies when I first started was self-doubt was not believing in myself. And a lot of that was I was attaching my confidence in myself with the results that my business got. So I was basically, I was attaching my worth to my business. And so if my clients loved me, then I thought I was awesome. If my clients were upset with me, then I thought I sucked. If my employees were upset with me, 
then I thought I sucked. If my employees were excited to be working there, then I thought I was awesome. And so one of the best things that I ever started doing was I call them daily affirmations. They are basically statements that I read to myself every day that help me to attach my worth to me and not to what other people think. And so it's just a series of like power statements or whatever you want to call them that I recite to myself in the morning that says whatever it is that you want that you want to connect with. I am a responsible, integrous, honest man. I love myself. I am of worth. My worth is not attached to what other people think of me. Just those kinds of things that seem like it seems almost like stupid to do that kind of a thing, to recite those kinds of things to yourself. But I can say from my experience has been tremendously impactful so that when things do come up and a client is pissed off and wants to cancel, I don't take it personally because I know this isn't personal to me and this doesn't mean anything about me. Yeah, it sucks that I'm losing a client and I can dig in and I can figure out why are they canceling? What could I have done a better job of? What can I do better next time? But I'm not taking it personal. I'm not saying that this means something about me. And so I think that, again, regardless of your situation in life, regardless of whether you're an entrepreneur or a manager or an employee, if you can really believe in yourself and have great self-confidence, you can navigate almost any challenge in business. I really appreciate that, Chris. And it definitely ties into the conversation we've had today in that you've illustrated there are so many unknowns when you're running a business. There's so many unknowns in terms of why consumers are behaving the way that they are. And certainly this investigative process you've described helps make it more concrete and hopefully helps bring a lot of relief and encouragement to the business owner. But sometimes you're blaming yourself for things that actually don't have to do with your expertise or how you're presenting yourself. There's a host of of different factors. And combining these strategies, I would think, makes for wonderful elements of entrepreneurial success, both looking at taking yourself off of an emotional roller coaster, because that also can put you off track if you're coming down on yourself, and also making the experience a little bit more concrete by getting feedback in the way that you describe through the testing yes, process. Yes, absolutely. Chris, you also have an invite that you mentioned that you like to extend to listeners for a resource that you're offering. Yeah. So we get people all the time that will ask us after I will talk about some of the tests that we run. Companies will all the time ask us, okay, well, how can we get started with this? What should we do? What are the first steps? What are the tools we should be using? So we put together a starter guide for A-B testing that has all the tools that you'll need to think about, some of the major tests that you should think about running on your site. You know, We've talked about some of them today. And there's a lot of other really good stuff in there. So people can download that for free at disruptiveadvertising.com slash guide. And there is a box that you can check if you're interested in talking with us. Um, you know, I would love to talk with any of the listeners if you want us to take a look at your site or give you some, some recommendations. Uh, or if you'd like to work with us, we would love to hear from you. If you don't want to talk with us, just don't check the box and you can download the guide and, and be on your way. Thank you so much. Chris, one last question, because I'm guessing it's in the minds of listeners, is regarding costs for using your services. Is there a broad range depending on the needs of the client? There is. And it really depends on kind of the scope of what we're doing. Our minimum, like our starting testing package starts at $1,500 a month. 
And so that will hopefully at least give people like a general ballpark. And then it kind of scales up from there just, again, based on the scope of what we're doing and how frequently we're going to be running tests on the site. That's really helpful. Thank you. I want to invite listeners also, if you have comments or unanswered questions about today's episode, I welcome you to share them by emailing me at hosthemda at gmail.com. You can also share comments and questions by following me on Twitter at Hemda Mizrahi and liking us on Facebook at Life and Career Choices. Until next time, as always, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Turn the Page. Turn the Page is sponsored in part by Life and Career Choices, Inc. Host Hemda Mizrahi invites you to email her at hosthemda at gmail.com to explore becoming a sponsor or affiliate of the show. Until next time, make one change that will benefit your life and your business.